something that uh, was made known to me uh, this last few days as we were out of town speaking in this little church in Arkansas. Many of these people had been raised up as Baptists. Many of them had heard this expression that Baptists so often talk about, once saved, always saved. You know that once you get saved, you can go do anything you want to do, and God understands. But, you know, that's not true. You know, that statement, has, that statement is probably going to deceive lots of people. And they're going to be so shocked when they live in the world and then they come to the end of their life when they are going to be cast into the lake of fire and not into heaven. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. So today I'm going to start in Romans chapter 13 and I'm going to read and we're going to talk about several places in the scripture today. But in Romans 13, for the first 20 years or 30 years that I read this, I never saw the spiritual side of this. But now I see it clear. I don't know why <clears throat> that I didn't see this uh, when I first began to read this. But I guess the enemy blinded my mind to these wonderful truths. Now, I want you to see what God says here in Romans chapter 13, verse 3. We start off with Romans 13:3. It says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. For rulers. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Now, the Lord is really speaking a double meaning here. He's talking about the physical world and the spiritual world. Both ways. And you'll see as we go on down in here, He definitely explains this to us. But rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Now, this power he's talking about is both the, the secular uh, enforcing agency, the police department out here that we have to live under, our governmental authorities, as well as the powers of evil, Satan and his host. Then he says there, do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. Now then, if you and I do that which is good, and we break no laws on this earth, you don't never have to worry about going to jail, getting a speeding ticket, or getting a fine, or anything else. It's only when you break the law that you have to be concerned. Now then, is that true? We all know that when we don't break the law, you do not have to be concerned about going to jail or paying a fine. But if the law says, you know, don't speed and you don't speed, if the law says don't park right here, then you don't park right there. If the law says, you know, don't uh, do all the things it says to do, you know, as long as we don't do those things that the law says we're not supposed to do, we don't have to worry about the law. The law never bothers you. If the law says don't get out there on the road and drink and drive, then if you don't drink and drive, you know, you're okay. You know, if a man wants to have a, a couple of beers or a glass of wine at home, that's okay. You know, you can stay at home. You can drink that. The Lord does tell you don't be drunken with wine. So if you're going to sit at home, don't get wiped out on it. Because if you do, you're sinning. You know, you're breaking God's rules. 
So, the Lord has made a set of rules both in the physical world and we have to abide by those rules. And he's also made a set of rules in the spiritual world and he also has an executive department to take care of that, which we'll talk about these in just in a minute. He says there, for he is the minister of God to thee for good, but... If you do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon them that do evil. How many of you that driving down the road at 80 miles an hour in your car, and I know some Christians do that, they're driving 80 and they got a radar detector on the windshield, And if that radar detector goes off, immediately your heart skips a beat. Because you know you're breaking the law. You're driving 80 miles an hour. You know, so you probably spent $100 or $200 or $300 for the radar detector to try to keep you from getting a ticket. But when that radar detector goes off, a lot of the times, the radars that they have... They already have recorded your speed when your radar detector goes off. And some people know that. And so immediately when that detector says beep, beep, or whatever it does, your heart skips a beat. Or if you're going down the road and you don't have a radar detector, and all of a sudden you're driving 80 miles an hour in a 65-mile-an-hour zone, and you go flying over the hill, and there sets a police officer. What happens? <laughs> Your heart skips a beat and you slam on the brakes. You do everything you can to stop. Say, oh, God, please help me that that guy don't see me. And the Lord says, well, you left me behind at 65. So when you went from 65 to 80, you're on your own, son. You're on your own. I told you not to break the law of the land. You disobeyed me. Now then, if that guy catches you, you have nothing to do but pay the consequence. Is that true? Yes. You know, I heard years ago when I first started listening to Kenneth Copeland, uh, he had he had an old car, you know, I mean, he didn't have no money, and he definitely didn't have no airplanes and no nice vehicles and everything. He was just, had an old war-out car, and somebody had asked him to come out to West Texas to preach, and so he had an old car that wasn't running very good. He told what it was. I forget what kind it was. But he said, I'm going across the West Texas, and that old car is missing and cutting out and sputtering and everything else. And he said, I pray, and I say, Lord, I mean, I'm going to be about your business, and this old car is just barely getting running. I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to make this car run perfect so I can get out there and preach the gospel and come back. And he said, I said, thank you, Lord. He said, that old car just started running like a clock. He said it was just humming, and I said, wow. I think he was driving along there pretty slow, 45 or 50. That's all it would run. And he said, men started running so good. I got her up there at 60, 65, 70, 75. He said, it's running so good. I thought, man, I'm going to make up for lost time. (laughs) He said, all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me and said, son, when you broke the speed limit, you left me behind. He said, if you get a ticket, don't you say nothing. He said, whoa. So he said, I slowed back down to the speed limit. He said, I drove that car the speed limit all the way out there, got there on time. I came back, and it's still running perfect. And he said, I thought, you know, it was running so bad, I better run it down to one of my friends that's got an automotive shop and let him just check it before I go out of town again. 
So he said, I took it down there and I pulled up in front of the shop and I stopped. And I told the man, I said, you know, I'd like for you to check my car. It was running so bad. And I prayed and it run good all the way out there and back. But I better have you really check it because it it was running so bad before. So the guy said, okay. So he said, he went out there. He said, I told him, I said, I left the key in it. So he said, he goes out there and the guy runs, turns and starts, run, 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 and he won't start. And said, the guy opens the hood, takes the distributor cap off and comes in and he said, Kenneth, did you push this car in here? He said, no, I drove it. It was running perfect. He said, I don't believe that. He said, why? He said, there's no point in the distributor where the two point, the upper piece is gone and fell off down in the distributor. It's not. I said, you didn't drive this car here. He said, yes, I did. Now, what can God do? When you pray, see, he got him to a mechanic shop and it run perfect. But when he got there, it don't work no more. Now then he's going to have to have it fixed. And of course, the guy tuned it up for him, said it run good after that. But he didn't have the money to have it tuned up before he went out there. But when he went out there, God gave him enough money in the ministry. When he went out there, to give him enough money to get it fixed. So he come back. Now he's got a little money. I know some of you might think, well, I never knew Kenneth Copeland ever was that broke. Well, let me tell you, according to him, he used to be broke. You know, he's just like everybody else. He started out with nothing. And, of course, he started teaching the Word of God. And God has blessed him in a mighty way. So, but he said, I had to be obedient because he was going to speed and I thought about what the Lord told him, son, when you exceeded the speed limit, you left me behind. I'm not with you no more. You're breaking the law. Well, all of us are the same way. We need to make sure that we don't break the law, whatever it is, whether it's the spiritual world or the physical world. He says, because if you do that which is evil, be afraid. For he that beareth not, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. Now he's talking about the executive department on earth as well as the spiritual kingdom. He's talking about both of them. In other words, the police department and Satan and his host of demons. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. You know, our conscience, it's amazing that the Spirit of God, our conscience that lives in us, when we go to do something wrong, immediately your spirit or your conscience will tell you you're breaking the law. You you know that. You know when you start to do something wrong, you know before you do it, because the Spirit of God lives in you, and He's telling you you're doing something wrong. So you don't want to go there. If the Holy Spirit convicts you, immediately stop right there, repent, and say, Lord, I won't do it. You know, So don't break the spiritual laws. Don't break the physical laws either. Then he says in verse 8, or 6, uh, actually verse 8, I'm going to go from there. Uh, verse 8, where I'm going to go to. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. Then he says, for this, in verse 9, for this, for this love, to obey the law, you shall not commit adultery. Now we're stepping over into the spirit world. You shall not commit adultery. Then he said, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. Seem like I've read those somewhere before. Where did we read those before? In the Ten Commandments, didn't we? That's right. We shall not do any of these things. 
He said, you shall not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if there's anything that Cheryl and I have seen in the last month as we've traveled in Europe as well as other places recently, we have come to realize how many people, especially women, that do not meet that criteria. I'm talking about beautiful women. Beautiful women that are sick and afflicted and tormented by the devil. And when I ask them, do you love God with all your heart? Oh, yeah. I go to church and I love the Lord. Do you love your neighbor? Well, I'm trying. How about yourself? And I say, oh, you don't love yourself? How could anybody love me? I think, wow. And some of these women that have told me that were radiantly beautiful women. And I think, goodness gracious, if a woman like this can't love herself, if the devil can deceive that woman to make her think she's a nothing or a nobody, and she's being disobedient to love herself, she doesn't realize she's breaking the spiritual law. She's opening the door to the demonic spirits of hell to attack her because she doesn't see herself as a daughter of the king. She sees herself as a nobody. So she's breaking God's spiritual law. She's opened the door to the demonic world. And Satan has gladly obliged her to come in and put sickness and disease upon her. All because she doesn't love herself. I mean, isn't that amazing? I don't know. We've seen a few men that didn't love themselves either. But it sure has been obvious to us that many women that are daughters of the king do not love themselves. And when you talk to them, why do you not love yourself? Well, I mean, i got this little mole on my cheek. Or my nose is a little bit crooked. I need a nose job. You know, my complexion is not exactly But my hair is too thin. Or my hair is too thick. You know, and if I had a tummy tuck and I could lose 20 pounds, then maybe I could love myself. I mean, you can't can imagine the stories that I hear from these people. And I think, no. Why don't you just do what God says and love yourself? Why don't you stop looking in the mirror and seeing everything wrong with you? Why don't you start looking in the mirror and say, wow, look at that. That's Jesus in that mirror. That's not me. That's the king. See Christ in you. Stop looking at yourself. Start thinking, I'm a son or a daughter of God. I may not be much, but with Jesus in me, there ain't nothing me and the king together can't do. Absolutely nothing. That's the way you've got to start looking at yourself. You've got to start saying, hey, if he fearfully and wonderfully knit me together in the womb. He must love me. I mean, He made me. And if He made me, if I look at me and say, Oh, God, you didn't do a very good job on that. That's awful. I could have done a better job than that. He said, Oh, you could? Let's see you try it. You know, then I'd be just like those scientists that said, God, we don't need you no more. We've learned how to clone a man from dirt. He said, Oh, okay, go ahead. 
They said, let me show you. And they go out there and start to scoop up some dirt. And he said, hold it. What? I thought you said you could make your own mess. We can. He said, but that's my dirt. You make your own dirt. And then you clone the net. But you don't mess with my dirt. Oh, we got to have something God started with. Okay. Now then it comes down to the fact, without Him, we ain't nothing. But with Him, we're everything. So just like I turned on CNN News up there in that motel room uh, Friday, Cheryl and I, we had we had a great day of rest Friday. We didn't do, we didn't even come out of the room all day long. We just laid around and slept and rested. And I watched, I, we read the Bible. We, she read a book to me, and we just studied. But we did not come out of the room all day long till we went to go have a quick bite to eat. I mean, she said, we're having a Sabbath. I said, this is a Sabbath? We're having a Sabbath? She said, no, this is only a half a Sabbath. You know, she said, we're going to go preach tonight till midnight. I said, oh, okay. But anyway, we get a half a Sabbath. So we rested. I know that. I know that's good news. You, you would tell me I need to do this for a long time. So that's all we did, lay around. And I turned on CNN for a few minutes one time. They had CNN on uh, TV. So one time there, for a few minutes, I turned on the news. And naturally, guess what I would see? A group of scientists that's showing, going to have a special that night, and they're going to explain to us how the universe came into existence 13.4 billion years ago. I thought, wow. I'm sure one of them was here 13.4 billion years ago to have seen it. I'm sure they know exactly what they're talking about. I thought, you know, the Big Bang Theory. Everybody's talking about this. I said, you know, there may or may not have been a Big Bang. But if there was a Big Bang, nobody was here to hear it. So it makes no difference if there was a Big Bang. There was no ears to hear it, so nobody knows. But I'll tell you how the Big Bang, if there was a Big Bang, happened. God said, and it happened. You know, so it's really quite simple. All you got to do is believe by faith that the king said, and the universe came into existence. You know, without him, I mean, you know, we have really allowed the enemy to deceive us to not believe. I mean, in America, we're getting to where we don't believe anything. I mean, when we were in Germany, I thought the German people, Reinhard Bunke, one of the greatest evangelists has ever lived, I thought, man, everybody would love Reinhard Bunke. They'd be glad to say, he's from Germany. But I found out that wasn't true. They don't like Reinhard Bunke. They don't want him nowhere around. Because he's a preacher. He teaches the Word of God. And he gets millions of people saved. But Germany, Germany don't like him. They don't want to talk about him. They don't, don't care who he is. And they could care less about Reinhard Bunke. I thought, isn't this amazing? One of the most powerful evangelists that ever lived is living, or his ministry, or headquarters, is in Frankfurt. And they don't want to talk to him. They don't want nothing to do with him. You know, Reinhard Bunke, you know, don't want to talk about him. Hey. So, it, when you start teaching the Word of God and holding people accountable to what it says, a lot of people don't want to hear what God says. They want to go do their own thing. But let's continue on here and see what the Lord says. He says that, of course, verse 10 says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So what are you and I commanded to do as Christians? Love one another. That's what it's all about. Love. 
And verse 11 says, And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Well, let me tell you, we may be so close to the coming of the Lord. I mean, who knows when it could happen, but it could happen today. You know, when I say could happen today, think. Just think. The coming of the Lord for you could happen today. Because you could die right now. I mean, there's no guarantee that we'll all get out of this room today. But if one of our one of us had a heart stop beating, I mean, you can instantly be in your rapture. The Lord comes for you. And nobody knows when that, you know, we go around and say, man, I'm going to do this this year. I mean, that's just like Cheryl and I last night we were talking about, we're, we're still planning to build that church. We had a man this last week that's 63 years old that's been so fired up, a Catholic, a Catholic man that he's been so fired up with our teaching in the last few months. He has listened to it. He called me. And he said, you have changed my life forever. He said, I had no idea as a Catholic what was required of me in the Bible. And he said, somebody gave me one of your tapes. And he said, I started listening to it. I was so inspired that I contacted your ministry center. And they freely sent me everything I wanted with no charge. He said, never have I seen anybody that does this. But he said, every time I call back and order stuff, they just ask me what I want. And said, they send everything to me free and postpaid. He said, I've never seen a ministry like this. And he said, I have learned more. And said, when I went and started listening to you, I thought, now, wait a minute. This guy can't be real. So he said, I went and got my Catholic Bible out. And I started going back to them scriptures. And said, what you said is what my Bible said. He said, I thought... This guy's right on. He said, wow. He said, I didn't know God called me a thief. He said, I have all my own business and I've never tithed. I didn't know I was supposed to. But he said, when I read the book, I found out I am a thief. And the Word of God says, thieves can't go to heaven. So he said, I said, God, I repent. He said, Lord, I'm going to catch up. So he said, I've got some stock and he said, I'm going to transfer it over to your ministry, and I'm going to send it to you. And it's enough to build our church. <laughs> Praise God. So in the very near future, we're going to start on a church. It's enough to pour the slab and dry in the building and buy the building. You know, so I thank God, you're awesome. You know, so we're going to build a church, and we're going to build it soon. You know, so I'm telling you, as soon as this stock comes through, they're going to give it to us in a lump sum. I'm going to cash it in and put it in the account. I'm going to give the, in fact, I had another man contact me the other day and said he would give me net price. That means they will pay closing and everything total, and he would give me $25,000 an acre for that piece of land I own out there. So I'm not going to sell it. But I thought, you know, I'm going to take about four acres right there where the ministry center is, survey it out. That's $100,000 worth. And I'm going to take that out and I'm going to put that in the ministry. I'm going to give the ministry $100,000 worth of land. 
Then I'm going to go down on the back of my place down there where they built that new road, and I'm going to survey out 10 acres or a quarter million dollars worth of land, and I'm going to give that to the ministry. And then that's where we're going to build that church on that. So that's going to be my tithe off of my piece of land. That's $350,000 I'm going to put into the ministry in the very near future in land. But after all, it all belongs to God, doesn't it? It certainly don't belong to me. It belongs to Him. He's the one that gave it to me. So I'm going to give it to Him, and I'm going to live everything. I don't want to own nothing. I want to give everything I have to God for His glory, because I don't want to get. I don't want nothing that the world has to offer. I want it all to be used for the glory of God. So we're grateful that this man has given us this money to start out on this church. So we're going to get started on it. Hopefully, you know, within by, by at least June, we're hoping that we can get everything done, get the slab poured, get the building, and get it. And I'm planning right now at this point. Unless I change my mind or the Lord changed my mind, I'm going to build at least a 6,000 square foot building to start off with. We have enough money right now to pay cash for a 6,000 square foot building, you know, concrete poured in and frame up bathrooms and everything on the inside. And get started. We have enough money right now to pay for that as soon as this stock comes in. We have that money available to do that. I'm not the kind of guy that builds anything and borrows money to do it. I ain't going to do that. You know, if God don't give me the money up front to build, I ain't going out and spend borrow a hundred thousand or a million or something else to get in debt, and then I just got to worry about where it's coming from. No, I don't believe that. I believe God. If He wants me to do it, He'll give me the money up front to do it. And so that's the way I've done this entire ministry. I have never, I've had several people tell me, Thurman, you need new cameras, or you need new video equipment, or you need a new building, or whatever. I said, I don't have the money yet. They said, well, just step out on faith. You're a man of faith. I said, no, that's not the way I do business. Maybe I'm not a man of faith. I don't know. But I say, Lord, I go to the Lord, and I say, Lord, I need the money to do this or to do this. And I need this much to do this. Lord, if, you, if it's your plan for me to buy this and to build this building, I ask you to give me the money so I can do it. And bam, the money appears. And so then I go pay for it and get it done. So that's the way I do business. I don't go out and spend a, a fortune or something building a building and then just barely got enough to get it going. And then knowing next month I got a huge payment. And I'm going to say, oh, God, please, if you don't show up, I ain't going to have money to make the payment on this next month. I ain't going there. I'm not going there, never have, never will. You know, that's not where I live. You know, I don't think that's where God wants us to live. I know today there's lots of churches and lots of ministries, television and all, say, if you don't give to us this month, we're going to go off the air next month. We've got to have the money. Well, okay, you know, you know, if, if you, if you got to beg for money, something wrong. Don't beg, just go ask God. And if you're, what you're doing is Him, He'll provide for you. He'll pay the bill. You know, that's the way He's done us. You know, so we've never had to beg anybody for money. God has paid all of our bills all the time ever since we started the ministry. And the more money we need, the more He gives to us. And so we always have enough every month to pay all the bills. And so I'm grateful to the King for that. And then He says that when we go on, He says, uh, when we're not supposed to owe no man anything, and he tells us we're not supposed to commit adultery, we're not supposed to owe any man on anything, and knowing this, 
and verse 11, and that knowing the time is now, it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. And verse 12 says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let's put on the armor of light. I mean, the children of God, it's time we stop living in the darkness of the world. I mean, if you're a Christian and you're going and you're living in the darkness of the world, you're going down to the bars and hanging out and drinking, or you're sleeping around, or you're cheating on your mate, you're lying or cheating or whatever, you know, it's amazing the people that we minister to and the justification they use for their sin. I'll give you an example. Uh, but we've, we've ministered to people over the last few months that young people, middle-aged people, older people, it makes no difference. But it seems like the sexual sins are so prevalent today. And you take, take say you take a couple and she says, I want, they get married. And, you know, she says, I want to have a baby. And maybe they've been married before, both of them. Or maybe neither one of them have or whatever. Everything in the world happens. And she says, I want a baby. And he says, no, I don't want any children. So she goes back and she was married before to another man. So she goes back to her ex-husband and sleeps with him trying to get pregnant so she can have a baby with a husband that she's not married to anymore because the one she's now married to don't want to have a baby. And then because she done that, he's calling girls to, into the house and he's having them over the house and he's having them in his bed and yet he's justifying what he's doing is okay because what she done is wrong. You know what I tell people like that? There's no justification for your sin. You know, when you stand before God, what you're doing is sin. And He's going to judge you for this. You know, you're going to have hell on earth because of your sins. You're trying to justify this. And let me tell you, there is no justification for sin. But you would not believe what people tell us. It's okay. God understands. Let me tell you, He don't understand sin. You know, that's why so many of us are sick and afflicted in the church today. That's why we have all the devastating problems we have is because we will not believe the Word of God. I mean, he, I, mean I, I, can, I can remember that as all the healing ministries that God raised up, when He raised up men like Oral Roberts and William Brannan, and I mean, there up until about, I don't remember when it was, up into maybe the 60s or something like that, God must have had 12 or 15 or 20 powerful healing evangelists that traveled across this country that awesome things happened. I mean, A.A. A. Allen. I mean, you, there's, I mean, anybody that went to an A.A. A. Allen meeting or, or some of those old Roberts meetings or, or many of those pastors, maybe Kenneth Hagin, you name it. I mean, God did awesome things. And finally, I, I forget now when it happened, but there, God spoke to William Brandon and said, This is it. Today the healing advances, it's over. Why did he do that? He was upset with the whole world and what we were doing. All these people were sinning. They were living in sin 
doing everything wrong, and they were opening the door to the devil, and sickness and disease was coming upon them, and God in His grace and His mercy was healing them, and they're turning right around after they get healed and go right back into the vomit of the world. And God finally just said, that's it. And he spoke to William Branham and said, today the healing crusade is over. And when he spoke to William Branham that day, the healing crusade stopped. The power of God's Word through massive healing things stopped all across the United States. It stopped. There was no more awesome miracles by the thousands that happened like they were just a, the week or two before. God stopped it. Why? Because He was upset with us. He didn't like our sin. He didn't like our lying. He didn't like our cheating. He didn't like our thieving. He didn't like us not tithing. He didn't like all the things we were doing. And He finally said, that's it. How many of you have lived around people or someone and you put up with things for years and then all of a sudden one day you just reach the point you say that's it I can't handle this no more you're going to have to change I'm tired of giving and giving and giving and giving and you don't ever do anything for me I'm tired of it so today that's it you know I still love you but mine and your relationship is over sometimes with your own children you have this kind of a problem you, know, you give them forever. And they expect more and more and more. And then one day when you don't give them something that they want, they throw their finger in your face and say, what kind of a Christian are you? I've had that experience a time or two. You know, that your friends and your relatives, and you'll be doing everything in the world you think to make them happy and then all of a sudden one day one of them will just read you the riot act. And you think, what did I do wrong? All I've done is help this girl or help this boy. And now they're throwing everything in my face. You think, okay, praise God, let me just back off. You know, I had a, had a uh, person ask me the other day, do you have any real close relationships and I told him very few he said why why I said you have to be very careful who you select as your friends to have intimate close relationships you have to be so careful who you choose people will take advantage of you you have to be careful I mean, super careful. And you know, I don't want my heart to be broken. So that's why I have so few really intimate friends. I don't want my heart to be broke. I love everybody. Everybody. But I have very few really intimate friends. Because you know, I learned a long time ago, that if you have a lot of really intimate friends you're trying to please and help, and one of them one day throws something in your face and says something to you, it breaks your heart. So I thought, Lord, I don't want a broken heart. So I'll just love everybody from a distance. And I'll take a very, very few, few people that I really feel like really love me just because they love me and they don't want something from me. 
And that's like the number of people that I've had. I've had many men, always men, but they come and say, Thurman, I want to come and spend a week with you, a month with you. I want to just walk by your side. I want to be with you everywhere you go. I said, no, I can't do that. I mean, I can't do that. I only got one person in my life that can do that with me, and that's my mate. You know? I can't have nobody with me everywhere I go. When I wake up in the morning, they want to be with me. They want to go everywhere I go. They want to be involved with me. Yeah, they say, we want what you got. I said, well, get in the Word. God will give it to you just like He did me. But you have no idea the number of people that have contacted me and wants to be with me. Just come and, and live with me. And, and even say, we'll do it for free. I said, well, I can't help that. I can't. I don't have a place for you to live. I don't have a place for you to stay. You know, I, I cannot have you come and live with me like this because I don't want, I do not want an intimate relationship like that but with one person in my life, and that's my mate. Only one. Now, I love people, and I love to have good friends, but to have those kind of friends that are so intimate that I can share everything with, i got a handful of those. I can name all those on one hand that I got that I could walk up to and tell them my mistakes or tell them when I do something wrong, knowing they're not going to condemn me or run out and tell the world what I've done wrong. There's a handful of those kind of people that I know. You know so you have to be very careful who you choose as your friends. You do need a few, but you've got to be very, very careful who you choose. And... The Lord tells us to owe no man anything but a debt of love. To walk in love with all people. And then he says that the, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. I mean, we should have no works of darkness within anything we do as Christians. Nothing that pertains to darkness. We ought not to be telling any dirty jokes. We shouldn't be watching the wrong shows on television. We shouldn't be looking at pornography. We should not be thinking evil thoughts. We need to get totally free of all darkness. Then he says, and let us put on the armor of light. In other words, that's Jesus. You need to put on that armor. You need to dwell in the Word of God. You need to learn and see and understand what that light is. And you need to walk in the light of the power of the Word of God. And to walk in that, you have to be careful what friends you choose to walk there. Because you may get a friend and they may not walk there. You know, they may be negative. And if they are, if they're negative, you have to be so careful because... When you generate or create a soul tie with that person, if they're not on your level of faith, they will drag you down. They'll drag you down. They'll try to get you to go do things that's of the world, you know, instead of things of God. And when you go out there in the world, you're going to be drugged down. You know, they want you to do things instead of studying God's Word. Let's go to the zoo today. Anything wrong with going to the zoo? No. But if God has told you to stay home and study the Word, and you're not going to stay home and study the Word, instead you're going to go to the zoo and mess around today, you were involved in the world. And you were sinning if you were out there going to the zoo. When God had told you today is your day to study the Word of God. 
You've got to put the king first in everything. So you have to be very careful. Your friends that are worldly will much rather be in the world doing the things of the world than doing the things of God. You know, a, a, a child of God will want you to do things that are spiritual. That will go places and do things and be involved. Get involved in fasting and praying. You know, just like I told that church up in Arkansas. I said, I don't know what it is, especially Baptists. I don't know what it is we missed when it said F-A-S-T. The Baptists added one word in there, F-E-A-S-T. I said, those girls know how to cook. They know how to have something and bring the groceries. Yesterday, the pastor said, we're going to have a little lunch, and you ladies, if you'd like, bring a little something for us to nibble on. Let me tell you, there was something to nibble on there. <laughs> you talk about feasting, we feasted. These Baptist girls, I don't, it's not just Baptist girls, it's Christian girls. These girls know how to cook. You know, they know how to make good things. And if you're not careful, you can sin and overindulge. <laughs> it's so easy to overindulge in eating. Well, when you do that, that's a sin. Not anything wrong with eating, but most of us, if you're like I was, raised up in a church, I had never fasted in my life as a Baptist. I didn't even know the word fasting was in the Bible. I totally missed it. Well, let me tell you, if you don't learn to fast and pray, your anointing can never rise to the point where you want it to be until you fast and pray. There is unbelief and demons that you will never be able to cast out until you've learned to fast and pray. That's written in the Word. Jesus told us that. So, these are things we need to do. Now, as we see here, the Lord says in verse 13, Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh, to fulfill the lust thereof. Now see, this is spiritual that he's talking about here. He says, let us walk honestly. No, no thieving. No dishonesty among the children of God. We're to walk honestly as in the day. You know, we're not supposed to be walking, and he says, not in rioting and drunkenness. A Christian should never, ever, ever be involved in drunkenness. Never. You know, that you, in rioting, fighting, brawling, in this chambering and wantonness and in strife and envying, those are things that we as Christians should never be involved in. If we're involved in any of those things, we're going to open the door to the demonic world and these spiritual beings are going to come and attack us because of that sin. We're breaking God's law. See, he's talking about two worlds here in Romans 13. He's talking about the physical world and he's talking about the spiritual world. If you sin in the spirit, physical world, like break a law, you have to be concerned about the police department. The, if whatever you're doing. But if you break a spiritual law, which is like he said up here don't, in verse 9, that you don't commit adultery, you shall not kill, 
You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it's briefly comprehended in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't ever break one of these spiritual laws. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't ever break a physical law. You will drive the speed limit. You know, you'll not break these rules. And so you won't have to be concerned about getting picked up by the police. In fact, when we were in Germany, one of the young men, he told us we went by a certain place. And he said, you see those cameras right there? I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, I was driving, I think he said, 50 50 kilometers, which is not very fast, but the speed limit, it must have been a school zone or something. I don't know what it was. But anyway, there was, he was driving, I think the speed limit was 35 kilometers, which is not very fast. That's really very slow, like 20 something miles an hour. But he was driving 50 or 55. And this camera took a picture of him. It had his license plate number. It had the speed he was going and the date and the time, everything. And they sent him a ticket and the fine was 800 marks. 800 francs, excuse me, 800 francs. 800 francs, which was about, I think the franc is like a, it's less than a dollar, just a little or something. But so anyway, so say $800 just to round it off. I mean, of course, I realize for all of us, just like Germany, you know, $800, that's just pocket change, right? You got that much in your change purse, right? You could just go down and give them a few pennies and pay off $800, right? That's a pretty good-sized ticket, isn't it? $800. Let me tell you, you know what he did? Every time is where we went, he is watching his speedometer everywhere we went when we was over there in that country. He said, because there's those cameras all over the place. Did you know that when I got back to the States, I flipped the news on one night, and did you know in some school zones now in Texas, they're doing the same things? They're putting these cameras up. And you, you know about them too, right, Eldon? Intersections also. Oh, yeah, that's another place I saw that they were putting up for intersections. How many people do you know that sees the light turn yellow and they speed up instead of slow down? So they're putting cameras at intersections. If you run a red light, it's going to take a picture. It's going to tell you what your speed was. It's going to tell you the date, the location where you was, and they're just going to send you a ticket. You're going to get it in the mail at your house. You run this red light on this date and you owe us $200 or whatever they're going to charge you. And you ain't going to have a leg to stand on. You have nothing to do except go down there. Now, what did the Lord tell us as Christians we're supposed to do in Romans 13? Did He say we could break the law? No, He said we're not to break the law. So whenever you see a light changing, don't speed up to try to get through it. Slow down and stop. I mean, I have people every once in a while, I do that, and I have people run up behind me and blow their horn. I mean, the light turns yellow and I start stopping. And, man, they're all getting on. Go, go, go. Hold it. That light yellow. And I stop and the light turns red. No. I have had some people that when I start slowing, they pull out in another lane and go ripping right on by me. Well, when these cameras get put in, guess what's going to happen? 
they're going to have a little ticket that comes in the mail that says, you got stopped. Well, see, the Lord tells us to be afraid of the authorities if you break the law. Well, let me tell you, if we break the secular law, we're supposed to be afraid of the authorities because they're going to give us a ticket or put us in jail or whatever. But if we break the spiritual laws, the devil and his demons are going to come get us. And that's why so many people in the church is sick and afflicted today. Because we don't adhere to God's spiritual principles. It's like we don't know this spiritual world is out here. We don't know Satan and his demons are here. So since we can't see them, it's okay. Now, as a rule, you can't see those cameras either. But they're there. And many of us are going to be just like my friend I met over there in Germany. We're going to go rip and buy something. There ain't nobody, no lawyer, nowhere. I mean, no, no, no police department, no, no uh, police uh, car or nothing, nowhere. So, man, if we want to drive a little faster than the speed limit, no problem. Nobody knows. But today they do. They got you on camera. And they take it. And they just send you a bill. That way you don't even have to have a police car come out there. They just take your picture. And you have to pay the ticket. So the Lord tells us here to not break the physical, spiritual laws, either one of them, because if we do, we're going to be af- have to be afraid of these spiritual and physical beings because they're going to charge us money, send us to jail, whatever. Whereas if we don't break that law, we don't have to go. But the spiritual laws, many people... Or like I was most of my life, they never put it together that when you come down with some kind of sickness and disease, that you have sinned. I mean, we do not want to hear that. But it is the truth from God's Word. When we walk holy before God, there is multitudes of scriptures in this book that guarantees us that if we get every sin repented of and we come to God and trust Him... He will forgive us and He'll heal us. But He also teaches us that if we don't break His laws, we don't have to be sick. I don't never want to have to receive another healing. I don't want to be sick. Don't you? That's where I want to walk. I I don't want to walk in a place where, well, maybe God's not watching. I'll walk right over here close to the edge. Whoops. I'm not trying not to fall in. Them flames are coming up there. But maybe I won't get burned. Now, I don't want to walk that close. If I know them flames is down there, I want to be over here. I want to be free from that. So I don't even want to be, have the smell of smoke on me, much less the flames get close enough to burn me. So when we break God's rules, then we are burned by those demons. Then I want you to go from Romans 13 to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, I want to show you what the Lord has said here. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 3, 14. If any man's work abide. Who does that include? Any man? Is that you? Any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Now, the Lord's talking to you and me today. Sharon, anything you do that's for Him, you're going to get a reward. And don't you like that? 
Sure, I do too. But it says, if any, next verse, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Do you want to walk through this earth as a Christian and do everything for yourself and nothing for Jesus? Can you imagine one day, and I don't know where this dividing line is. There's a fine line here we're talking about. But I don't want to be one of those people that when I stand before the king one day, and he says, you know, you, yes, you have made me your Savior, but you never made me Lord. And everything you did on earth, you did it for you. Yeah, you were a hard-working engineer. You went out and worked 16 hours a day to make money for yourself. And you didn't give me none of it. You didn't tithe. Maybe you did tithe. But that was just out of necessity. You didn't give it to me as a tithe of love and worship. You gave it begrudgingly. So I ain't going to give you no rewards. I said I love a joyful giver. Not somebody that gives grudgingly. Isn't that amazing? That God tells us to tithe. And he says if we don't tithe, we're a thief. And he says no thief shall inherit the kingdom of God. Can you imagine living, supposedly you think, for God all your life? Maybe being a Christian for 50 or 60 years and you never tithe, not one time. And then one day you find out that that scripture is true. You stand before God and he's going to judge your works. And you say, I don't know you. The reason I don't know you is because you didn't do what I said. Yeah, you went to church, but you never gave me any of your tithe. The tithe that belonged to me. You didn't give it to me. You wore stolen clothes to church. You drove a stolen car to church. You never gave me anything. I, in my side, you're a thief. And I ain't going to have no thieves in my heaven. So you ain't coming in. Would that be a little scary? I think that'd be a little scary. I'd hold up rather tithe. You know, somebody said, well, I'm washed in the blood. Okay. You know, that's between you and God. But he did say tithe, so I'm going to do my best to tithe. I'm going to try to keep, I'm trying not to tithe. I want to get more than a tithe. That's why we sat down and and I write those checks out of the ministry to send to several other ministries on a regular basis. I want to stay ahead of the game. You know, I don't want to just, I mean, here a while back, uh, I'm not bragging about this. This is just a fact. I got a $21,000 check for my oil and gas money that came in. And I, put, I give immediately the day I got that, I put that in the bank and turned around and wrote a $10,000 check to the ministry. That's a little more than 10%. But I don't want to, I don't want to be a, a, just a tither. I want to be blessed. The king says, as you give, so shall I return to you. Well, I'd, I'd hold up rather be blessed on half, almost half, than to be blessed on 10%. So that's why, that's why I give what I did to the Lord through the ministry. It says, now, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Do you not know that ye are the temple of God? Now listen to what he's saying here. 
This is scary if you take the Bible at face value. Verse 16, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, I believe that, don't you? Because it says the Holy Spirit lives in us. Then he says, If any man... Now, who's that include? All believers. If any man defiles the temple of God. That's us. Now, if we do something that defiles this temple... He said, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You ever stop to think why some people that are Christians that are out there lying, stealing, cheating, getting drunk, running around, doing things that they're not supposed to be doing, and they come down with all kinds of pains and sickness and disease and back injuries and venereal diseases and everything else, and they wonder, why? What does God say? If, verse, if any man, if you're a Christian, and you defile this temple with sin, he says, God, if you defile the temple of God, God will destroy that temple. Him shall God destroy. Do you think this book really means what it says? Does this have anything to do with suicide? Well, you know, if someone is out there sinning, and let's just look at it like this. If you're out there sinning, doing something you're not supposed to, are you opening the door to the evil spirits? Okay, if you're opening the door to the evil spirit, do you think a spirit of suicide could come into you or a spirit of murder and you might wind up taking your own life prematurely? You had defiled God's temple. See? And so you died early. God's in control. He knows what's going on. Nothing catches a king by surprise. You know, he knows everything. I mean, you don't have to worry about, well, where is God in this? I'm t- he knows what's going on. He knows everything that's going on. He, in fact, the king said in his own words, since he defeated the forces of darkness, that all power in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He's now the king of kings and Lord, Lord, and he holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave. So there ain't nobody dies except he know it. And ain't nobody dies and says, he says, okay. Praise the Lord. Hey, that's good news. But now, that makes me and you want to walk holy, right, Jim? That makes us want to know when somebody tells us something we're saying, or somebody would say something, and especially if it's a word in another language, we don't want to speak those words until we know for sure what that word means, do we? You've got to be careful from now on, I guarantee you. Yeah. I mean, see, when, when we're speaking in tongues or a foreign tongue, sometimes we need to know for sure what we're saying. Now, if the Holy Spirit's got a hold of your tongue, you don't have to worry about it. If you're praying in tongues, that's okay. But if you're speaking in another language, you have to be careful. That's just like the other day when we were in Germany. I used a slang word, and everybody jumped back in, and I thought, oh my goodness, I have no idea what that word must mean in German. 
But one of them come to me later and said, Thurman, you don't never want to use that word again, especially in mixed company. <laughs> I said, whoa. I, I, they didn't tell me what it said. But I guarantee I won't never use any more slang words in a foreign country. Because I used a little foreign word, little word that, you know, you and me don't think nothing about. But when you're sitting there with a group of Germans and you use a little telling a story and you use a slang word and everybody at the table, you know, does, you say, whoa, I've done something wrong. I don't know what I said, but something I did wrong. So you know not to use it again. <laughs> you know, don't repeat that. In fact, the first time I learned that, I was in the cockpit of an airplane, and we were flying across the North Atlantic, and the captain on that flight, he had a name that was a funny last name. And when the stewardess, the head stewardess, come in to ask if we wanted anything to drink, she's asking us what our names were, because she don't know us. And I tell her, my name's Thurman Scrivener, and... And one of the other guys tells her what his name is, and the captain tells what his name is. When he tells what his last name is, she said, she jumped back and he said, did I say something wrong? She said, what did you say your last name was? And he told her again. She said, that's your last name? He said, well, yes, there's something wrong with it. And she said, well, uh, I'd just rather not talk about it. What would y'all like to drink? And she left. And later, uh, a guy that was our, one of our interpreters, he came up. And the captain says, let me ask you a question. What is my last name? And he told him, what does that mean in, in uh, German? <laughs> he said, oh, my, that's your real name? He said, <laughs> he said, yes. He said, that's not just a slang word. That's not, he said, that's my real name. What does it mean? And he told us, and it was a very, very bad word in German. <laughs> that word meant something very vulgar in German. And that's what that girl done a double take when he told her what her name was. So, you know, you never know what a word means in another language. But that's why you have to be careful, like Jim found out this week. You know, you say something, you need to be careful. So you can say things, but just look at what the Lord says here. In 1 Corinthians 3, 17, if any man defiles the temple of God, which is what we are, we defile that temple in sin. He says, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, I wonder how many people that have gotten sick and down with serious illnesses when you've went and prayed over them. Think about this. One person will walk up. They've got their sins repented of. They say, and I touch them in the name of Jesus, and God instantly heals them. I've seen that over and over and over, haven't we, Elton? We have seen God heal people, and the next person comes to a healing school, and you pray over them, you anoint them with oil, you pray the prayer of faith for them, and next week or two weeks later, they're worse. And you call them and talk to them on the telephone for hours and try to get them to repent of every sin. And two weeks later, they're comatose. And then the family calls back and says, we want you to come and lay hands on him or her for healing. 
forget it. They've committed to sin unto death. I mean, if they didn't get ill when they came and repented, and then you called them two weeks later, and you had them repent of all the sins, and you prayed over them, and they didn't get healed then, I can't pray that prayer of faith no better for you than I did the first two times. I can't do it no better than that. Guess who is not the healer? Me. Guess who is the healer? God. And He knows. That's why when one person comes up, and they have all their sins repented of. They've got a broken heart for their sins. God knows your heart. You're not trying to hide nothing from Him. You're open. Lord, I messed up. I sinned. Please forgive me. He said, okay, no problem. But now go and sin no more. I mean, I think about this woman. She came to, I was over at Daystar. And there was a lady had a healing ministry from California. She was a precious lady of God. Wow, what a woman of God. That woman was one of the most godly women I had ever met in my life. And she could hear from God. He could speak to her. I mean, almost any time she asked the Lord to speak to her about someone, he'd talk to her. That's how clean and pure she was before God. But a woman walked down the aisle one day where she was. And as she's walking down, the Lord spoke to this woman and said, That woman right there is coming down. Her sickness is because she fantasizes about a movie star when she has sex with her husband. When she walked up, she said, You know, the Lord just spoke to me and told me what your problem is and why you're sick. And she told her. And the woman says, Nobody knows that. He said, God knows it. And he told me, now I know it. Is it true or not? She said, well, yes, it's true. He said, repent and God will heal you. So she repented. And the woman reached up and touched her and God instantly healed the woman. But six months later, that same woman came back to that woman. She had the same disease. God didn't speak to her this time. When she came up and said, this same disease has come back upon me. She said, have you sinned like that again? She said, I can't help myself. She said, oh, yes, you can. She said, you have to stop doing it. Well, the lady repented again. And the woman touched her again. And nothing happened. As far as I know, that lady either still has that sickness or she's dead with that sickness. You know... God spoke to the woman and told her what her problem was and told her to stop doing it. You know, he did say in Hebrews 10, 26, If you willfully sin again, after you have the knowledge of the truth, there's no sacrifice for that sin left. But only a fiery judgment of God to come upon you. You know, you don't hardly ever hear that scripture preached on in church. You know that? You know, I never heard that spoken in my life in church. But you know, I want to read that to you out of my Bible. I want you to read it out of your Bible. I want you to see if God really said this in Hebrews ten twenty six. Hebrews chapter ten. I want us to go there, and I, if this is in the Bible, then it's true. And it ought to make us as Christians realize, hey, 
we need to straighten our act up. And we need to walk holy because if you've read this book, you know what God's requirements are. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, first of all, verse 25, he says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What is, telling, what is God telling you to do right there? Go to church. That's exactly what he's telling us as Christians. Go to church. How many Christians you know that know they're supposed to go to church, but they don't go? Or at least not very often. Then he says, verse 26, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and a fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary. He that despises Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified as an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that says, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge the lost people. Is that what he said? Oh, what did he say? Who's he going to judge? His people. You know who that is? That's us. That's you and me. Isn't that scary? You want to know why some people can't get healed? Because they have willfully sinned after they have the knowledge of the truth. Do you know? If you come to me and you've got cancer and I tell you that that unforgiveness you've got towards your neighbor or your spouse or whatever, yeah, Thurman, you don't know what my spouse did to me. She was the meanest witch I ever seen in my life. Well, she might have been, but you've got to forgive her. And if you don't, you're sinning and it's going to bring sickness and disease upon you. And so it does. It brings cancer upon you. And so you come to me and I tell you what the Word of God says. And you say, okay, I forgive her. I'll walk holy before God. And I pray for you and God heals you. And then one day you happen to come upon her somewhere. And she says something to you and you blow your cool and you get madder than the devil himself. And you start telling everybody how wicked your ex-spouse was. And how mad you are at her. And the more you go, the madder you get. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. That cancer is going to come back so quick. You ain't going to have time to even know what happened. And there ain't nobody can, ain't nobody can anoint you with enough oil or pray for you enough to get you healed. You have committed to sin unto death and you're going to die. And I see multitudes of people that have stepped over that line and they come back and want you to come pray for them or their children. Come pray for my child. Well, you, but you're sinning. No, but God understands. He knows what my ex-wife did to me. No, yeah, he knows all right, but he says for you to forgive. And if you don't, 
It's going to bring sickness and disease upon you. And when you don't do what God says, it will bring that spirit of death upon you. And you will have committed the sin unto death. And there's not anybody can pray for you and get you healed. Why do you think so many people, when we pray for them in faith, why do you think so many of them come here and get healed? And then so many of them come here and can't get healed. You ever wonder about that, Sharon? Oh, you know why. You got the answer. You know, you, you knew why you couldn't get healed for 30 years, didn't you? Once you repented of your sins, God was merciful and gracious. And look what he's done for you since you've straightened your act up and walking in faith. Look what he's done for you. No more brain tumors. No more arm problems. No more leg problems. No more back problems. Does it pay good living to do what God says? Absolutely. Amen. You know, when you don't do what God says... Do you know what could happen if a person like Sharon, that now knows the truth, if she steps back into backsliding, you know how long she'd probably live? That's totally up to God. But if something could come upon you quickly, couldn't it, Sharon? But you ain't going there, are you, girl? Ooh, no. That girl's out doing the Lord's work. She's out, like she says, she's got a front. She's selling patches, but she's casting out demons and healing the sick. See, the devil is deceived. She's out there making people think she's doing something for the world. And she's out there healing the sick and casting the devil and getting people saved. Is that right, Sharon? Sure it is. See, I mean, if you have to have a front to do it, that's okay. Paul, he made tents in the daytime, but he cast out demons, healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, and raised the dead the rest of the time. So that's what we got to do. Wow. Scary stuff, isn't it? If it sure ought to make us realize that we as Christians need to walk holy before God. Hey, I don't know about you. I love living and I love life and I love having good days. Don't you, Eldon? But there's a requirement to walk there, isn't there? There's definitely a requirement to walk there. And we don't want to step into that world of sin because that world of sin, I mean, yeah, they may tell you that once saved, always saved. And that may be true. But I ain't putting, you know, I am not putting any faith in that. You know, I am not going to come to Christ and get saved and then go back into the world and do what I want to do and think one day I'm going to have to stand before a holy God to be judged for what I've done in this flesh, both good and bad. Isn't that awful? He might just decide. And of course, what if the king were to say one day, what if you said you was washed in the blood? What if you said all the time, you got to say, but what if you didn't live for Jesus? What if you lived in the world? And then what if one day you died and you stand before him and he's a king and there ain't no higher authority to go to? And he were to look at you and say, you didn't do nothing for me. I don't know you. Into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, into the pit of hell you go. You could say, but Lord, I need, a, I need another attorney. I need, a, I, need a, I need a reprieve here. Ain't no higher attorneys, is there, Ty? I mean, he's the king. He's the king. I mean, you can't, you can't say, I don't agree with this decision you made. I'm going to ask for another attorney. We want to retry. No, that ain't going to work. Is it, Sharon? No. Can you imagine how scary that would be? You come to the end of your life 
And you said all your life, you was a Christian, but you didn't live for Jesus. You didn't do nothing for him. And the king, when he makes that decision, that's one thing you would never want to hear. I had much rather spend my life working for the king. I mean, grinding my fingers to the bone, day and night, working for Jesus, studying the word, walking in obedience to his word. And then one day, he come for me when I die on this earth. And he come and take me in the rapture and put his arm around me and say, well done, Jim. You've done a good job for me, son. You like to hear that, Jim? Yes, me too. I want to hear that. And I know every one of you in this room would want to hear that too. Well, let me tell you, to get to hear him say that, you're going to have to work for him. You're going to have to do something for Jesus. You're going to have to be out about his business. And when you do, then he'll do it for you. And that's where we want to go, ain't it, brother? That's absolutely right. And the beautiful part about it is, if we'll do this and read the word and walk in obedience to it, he gives us power over the devil. Then he gives us power to pray and ask for anything, and he'll do it. And that makes life very interesting, doesn't it? You know, when you get to see him do all these mighty healings, and when people come to the healing schools and we pray for them, and we get to hear them call back or write back the next day or the next week or a month later or whatever, and say, praise God, we're healed. We love it, don't we? Absolutely, we love it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this beautiful rain that's still falling out there. Father, we worship you and praise you and thank you that this will rain maybe even all week to fill up the lakes and the tanks and and everything around here that's so low. Lord, we know that we've sinned. We know we have a nation as a city, as a state, have missed it. But Lord, we repent for the sins of the people. And we ask you to be merciful to them and forgive them. And Lord, you said if us, the church, would repent... If we would turn from our wicked ways and we would walk holy. You didn't say nothing about the world. You just said us. If we would do this, then you would hear our prayers and from heaven. And then you would send the rain. And then you would send the wonderful crops. You would bless us abundantly. If your people, which are called by your name, would repent and turn from our wicked ways and walk holy, you will bless all of us because of that. So, Father, help us to walk there. Lord, we want to thank you and praise you for the day and what you're doing. I want to thank you, Lord, that we're going to have a new church building out there in Justin in the very near future. I want to thank you for all the things you do. I want to thank you for these people out here today. And I want to ask you to bless every one of them mightily with knowledge and wisdom and revelation and understanding from your word. And, Lord, just bless them with life, good life, and and good health as they go through this week. And use us all for your glory this week. In Jesus' name, amen.